Gather round, one and all, and listen to tales of excitement and adventure. Tales of daring heroes, savage monsters, and bards who just couldn't keep it in their pants. Tales of friendship, nobility, drunken foolishness, and unforgettable fun. These are tales of role-playing games, fair listeners, and this is Rollin' Bones. My name is Ryan Howard, and I shall be your guide. Good evening, Boneheads, and welcome to Rollin' Bones with Ryan Howard, your RPG treasure trove. I am your host and king of the Boneheads, Ryan Howard, and joining us once again, ladies and gentlemen, the uh, great and powerful, the legendary Skeeter Green. Skeeter, welcome back. That is quite the intro. I hope I can uh, live up to that. that that's pretty good. <laughs> But thank you very much. I uh, appreciate you allowing me to come back to your show. <laughs> I don't always get that from everyone. So uh, thank you. And uh, yeah, let's have some fun. Absolutely. Let's, let's talk about some stuff. Yes, because as uh, Skeeter's background is showing, uh, right now Skeeter has an ongoing campaign for the Crypto Codex, Critters for Your Apocalyptic Aftermath Game. You can find this on Kickstarter. Uh, it is currently fully funded with 14 days to go and stretch goals to unlock, so uh, anyone who wants to jump on, uh, you are well within your window right now, and we're going to talk a little bit more about that as we go here. Um, yeah. In, in fact, that's probably a good, as good a place as any to begin, so... Uh, sure. Skeeter, why don't you tell us a little bit about the, uh, the Crypto Codex, what it is, and what it can do for people's games? Absolutely. So CryptoCodex is at its most basic uh, monster book for the Dungeon Crawl Classic and Mutant Crawl Classic game systems. Uh, they are all the same monsters dual statted for your more typical fantasy setting if you want to use them for that but also the the same monster has stats if you want to do a post-apocalyptic nightmarish you know traveling the wasteland game of your choice um, a lot of the monsters fit both genres mm -hmm. so i figured why not give you stats for both instead of you know doing the classic oh yeah i'm gonna release one book for dcc and another book for mcc which is probably a more savvy marketing method but that is definitely not me so uh i decided to combine them into one book and we are currently at uh 50 uh selections in that so the the baseline book gets you 50 monsters statted for both and from the feedback that I've gotten, they're relatively crazy ideas. Not the, not the crazy ideas like they're unusable for, for most people's games, but they're just like, what is wrong with you? How did you come up with this creature? A <laughs> uh, lot of things that are hybrids, uh, like I have uh, 
six or eight different things that are combined with elephants. So, oh, nice. yeah, um, this this all came from uh, I released Crypt of the Science Wizard two years ago for fifth edition and Swords and Wizardry. Then last year I did another Kickstarter for the same Crypt of the Science Wizard to be in DCC and MCC rules. So as I'm as I'm writing Crypt level two. I needed more crazy, semi-mutated, you know, monsters to, to fill that. So I started putting these together, and I'm like, why don't I release these as their own book? I mean, these some of these are pretty darn good ideas. So that, that set off an entire book. And then I started getting into writing that a little bit more and started getting the juices flowing, and stuff was pouring out of my head. And... I have somewhere between two dozen uh, possibilities for stretch goals, which if those don't go in this book, they're going to go into uh, a later book next year. So lots of product coming out from SGP. Uh, hopefully people don't get sick of me. Absolutely. But I'm churning it out. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And there's been kind of a lot of movement when it comes to kind of the dungeon crawl classics kind of thing because i know uh you know you're putting this out for dcc and then i also know that uh levi combs is doing one of uh one of his adventures jungle tomb of the mummy bride uh for dcc as well that's coming up pretty soon too right yeah we we talked at length about that and um that conversation actually got started because when he wrote uh, an occurrence at Howling Crater, I I asked him, I was like, okay, so you're doing this for MCC is this, you know, the hills have eyes, hillbilly mutants. I mean, that screams DCC and MCC. And he was like, oh, yeah, you know, I thought about it, but I didn't do it. And I'm like, dude, what are you even doing with your life? Come on. So I kind of browbeat him a little bit, and um, he decided to go for it. And what I've noticed when people uh, start embracing DCC and MCC is it actually opens up some creative avenues for you. Because mm -hmm. typically when, in, in my experience, when I was heavy into swords and wizardry, it's generally the standard you know, Tolkien party of fantasy characters going out and doing stuff. And I am, I am from the, the way beginning. I mean, stuff like Tomb of Horrors and Expedition to the Barrier Peaks where stuff was weird and you could actually have a published module and go, oh, I don't know what that is. You know, I missed that. And, and now that I've been writing this, you know, harebrained stuff for SGP, I love it again. I, I am rejuvenated and running these in uh, virtual cons because, you know, disease, we're actually having our own post-apocalyptic life. <laughs> um, but it, it's, it's increased the fun again, which is really nice. I super enjoy it and getting a lot of good feedback too. So yeah 
I, I like it and I want more people to do it. Yeah, that's that's an interesting point you make about kind of the the earliest um, role-playing games. Something that a lot of people don't realize just because of how influential Tolkien has been on fantasy as a whole. D&D does not really come from the Tolkien tradition of fantasy. It comes from, and I people are going to start like, hitting me over the head with things if I keep bringing him up, but it comes from Robert E. Howard. Uh, that's that's where a lot of this stuff comes from, and the weirdness... You dirty fun. heretic, you! <laughs> no, and and I wasn't trying to cut you off, but that, that was actually um, an interview I was listening to today, where people were talking about that. Mm-hmm. And they were like, you know, the books that Gary and Dave... And everybody at the beginning were were reading and basing this off of, you know, it was, you know, Conan. Yeah. You read read a Conan story. I mean, dude is not hanging out in, you know, chain mail and, you know, hanging out with his little halfling buddies. Guy was a pirate. And he would go to these weird temples where you know, evil priests were summoning these things that had no shape. Mm-hmm. It's like, okay, yeah, that I'm down. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and, you know, with the, and I, I hate to even use it, but, you know, with the heavy Lovecraftian influence from those kind of stories, you're only a short jump to, okay, so these things came from space let's throw some spaceships in there. Mm-hmm. It's, it's not as much of a leap to go from barbarian on horseback to, Oh, we found this crashed UFO. What kind of crazy stuff is in there? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's something you would investigate. You know, yeah. if, if you had the nerve to do that, I'm still trying to get over the fact that, you know, this is a fantasy world with three foot diameter spiders, which would make me peace out. I'm done. That's that's it. No. No more. So. Yeah. yeah just for for anyone who has not read any any Conan stories, any Robert E. Howard, but you are into D and D, if you read the Tower of the Elephant, oh, uh, yeah. one nope. one of the most uh, famous Conan stories, just that one story, you will understand the Classic. genesis of the dungeon. Yeah. And I mean, if you if you want to take another tangent and you want to maybe crack open some John Carter of Mars, Mm -hmm. that has everything. It has your fantasy. It it tells you where the white apes come from. It has a guy who is basically, you know, I don't know what John Carter would be, maybe a ranger since he had that kind of skill set. But yeah, he's using technology and and all of this stuff and but it's done the story is told in a very fantasy setting where it's not like you think oh he's going to break out a laptop and and like, you know, take over the world or anything like that. It's not that it's not that flavor, but uh it definitely has that mix that opens you up to more possibilities. Mm-hmm. And that's, uh, 
again, this is this is why people are going to start hitting me with things every time I bring up Robert E. Howard, because when it happens, I then go into the explanation for anyone who hasn't heard it of how I'm related to Robert E. Howard. Oh, I did not even know that, or I would have brought it up even earlier. Yeah, I mean, it's something I just found out uh, a few months ago. I You see a guy with the last name of Howard, and you, know, you think, okay, you know, I'm a Howard too, am I related to him? Statistically, probably not, but right. I did the I did the like ancestry.com thing and he is uh I believe he is my first cousin five times removed or something like that. He's way way down the family tree, but but that's a pretty cool tree. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I mean if if you're going to have a tree, have Robert E. Howard in your tree. Yes. <laughs> that's amazing. And yeah, and you know, finding that out, I love fantasy, I love D and D, but finding out something like that—that that it's in my blood, quite literally—that really just kind of made the passion go off inside of me. That that's really living with that for the past few months has been incredible, and that's why I keep bringing it up to everyone who's like, "Oh, it's talking yeah. about this shit again." That's, that's oh why. man, I w- I would one hundred percent do that. Mm-hmm. I even reached out to the Robert E. Howard Society, and I was like, hey, I'm a Howard. And they're like, we've heard from a couple Howards. You're the most distant one we've heard from, but we're glad that, you know, you're interested. So, Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Because I was afraid that's... no one in my, like, just knowing my, my dad's side of the family, my immediate family, none of them cared, really. Yeah. It wasn't something that I was told I had to go uncover it. So I was like, what if no one's paying attention to the fact that we have one of the big names of fantasy? He's, he's on the Mount Rushmore of fantasy, if there is one. Uh, you know, he's in the family. What if what if I'm the only one who cares? And so I reached out. Thankfully, I'm not. There, there are other more closely related Howards who care about that legacy, and that makes me happy. So what you're saying is you got a bit of information researched it we'll say went on a quest for more knowledge yes and found this treasure yes absolutely that's that's a perfect campaign hook right there Mm -hmm. that's exactly what people are looking for yeah it was fun i didn't have to i didn't encounter any three foot in diameter spiders uh on this on this quest but uh if I had, it would have all been worth it anyway. Although I'd probably be dead because yeah, no man, flamethrower. Just that's that's one of the things. And and when you're writing a monster book, I I was specifically looking at other monster books because you, you kind of want to get some inspiration, but you also don't want to rip anybody off. Mm-hmm. So I I was trying to trying to get some things that were you know clever. And I included creatures that can be beneficial. Like I've got a bunch, uh, the Crypt of the Science Wizard, the setting is largely in the desert or in the jungle. So I've got some creatures that uh, the, the merchants and traders would use. I have a camelpede in there. So it, it's something that people would use. It's a steed. 
Um, there are some horrible, horribly overpowered creatures in there that you would not use unless, um, you know, it's the end of the campaign and I want to wipe everybody out. You know, there, there's a smattering of those in there. Hmm. But um, I tried to focus on utilitarian things that you would you would actually need in a campaign. And I think it, I think it worked out pretty well, but it made me think about that stuff, like monsters that have come before and, you know, three, six, eight foot diameter spiders. Hmm. I don't like them if I can see them. (laughs) So if, if it's, you know, the size of a hood of a car, that would not be a fight I would be involved in. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Unless I had a gun. (laughs) Like a shotgun. <laughs> and even then, and this is probably too much nightmare fuel, but you think about like how tough proportionally a uh, like an insect or an arachnid's uh, exoskeleton is to their size. So if you scaled them up in that way, would their armor scale up with their size? What I'm getting right. at is would a spider be bulletproof at that size? Right, exactly. Um, one, of, one of the... Uh, monsters i have in there is essentially a land octopus that has an exoskeleton so mm-hmm. it's armored and in playtests it has been nasty <laughs> because yeah it's got it's got a pretty good armor class because you know you, you know how hard crabs are so if a crab was bigger and it had a little bit thicker exoskeleton that would be terrifying Mm-hmm. so yeah that's uh a lot of the a lot of the design ideas or like you were saying the nightmare fuel that comes with making a monster book is legit mm-hmm. it's, it's it's terrifying <laughs> now i don't know if we talked about this at all last time you were on but how into like dark sun have you been traditionally is that something that you have lived or experienced yep i got way into dark sun uh we had a a long running campaign of dark sun and i really there obviously there are parts of it that i hated but the the flavor of it and and my setting doesn't get as in depth as that one did but yeah i was a fan of the whole blasted landscape uh i remember growing up when i was when i was way too young to watch it there was a movie called damnation alley and it was you know this it was like the salt flats except everything was orange so you knew it was radioactive and there's like a a van driving through this one scene and then there's a scorpion the size of the van and that left such an impression on me when I was a kid that I I've never forgotten that I've always figured, you know, if that's the end, that's what's going to happen. Everything's going to be a desert and there's going to be giant bugs that kill us. And that's another reason why I don't like bugs. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Absolutely. They're going to take over. Yeah. And, and the reason I bring up dark sun, uh, well, first of all, talking about the, the, Octopus with the exoskeleton just got me thinking about how frustrating it is for players with stone weapons to fight a Braxit. Right. Which, right. For any... oh, sorry, go ahead. 
Oh yeah, no, it's like uh, you see that thing. It's like okay, I have a rock, mm-hmm. and now no, we're running. Yeah. <laughs> we're out. Yeah, for for anyone who's unfamiliar, a Braxit is a giant bipedal rhino with uh, armored plates that's immune to damage from non-metal weapons and metal being scarce in Athos. Yeah. Yeah. Run. Yeah, you're 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 kind of screwed, and that's one of the things that I'm I'm working on in my playtest for level two of Crypt of the Science Wizard. Is there's more uh, combat in this one. The the first level is more about problem solving and getting past obstacles. There wasn't a whole lot of fighting. This one has a lot more fighting in it, and I'm trying to not balance because there are some encounters in there that are wildly not balanced. Mm-hmm. But for the ones that I want people to have conflict with, I want to make sure it's entertaining. So when they die, at least they get a good story out of it. Hmm. There, there's, there. I do have one encounter very early in level two where if you just don't bother the creature, it doesn't interact with you. But if you accidentally attack it, it will kill you. <laughs> As it has killed many parties so far. So I'm, I'm, I'm confirmed that one is a TPK waiting to happen, but hey, it's up to you. <laughs> yeah. And that's one, that's an interesting puzzle to, to put into a module like that because, you know, a lot of people, when they enter dungeon crawl mode, just because dungeon crawls, it's typically, all right, we're going through and kill anything that moves that's not yeah. one of us. So yep. that really kind of messes with your, your dungeon crawl instincts there. Oh, yeah, and and that's why I did it, is to kind of show people you're not SEAL Team 6. You don't have to clear every room, and sometimes there are going to be things tougher than you. I, I do not subscribe to the formula of you need to have X amount of encounters in Y amount of time, and it has to drain Z amount of resources. That's that's not fun. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it can be fun if it's done well, just like anything. If you're a good game designer, doesn't matter what system you're using, you can make it entertaining. I just want to make things that challenge the players as well as the characters. Like, don't come at me thinking that you know, oh, I've seen this a hundred times. I know exactly what to do. I'm betting you don't. Because I'm specifically playing on the fact that you are going to think you know how to outbrain me. Mm-hmm. You know, I first level of Crypt of the Science Wizard, I put a checkerboard floor in there just because I know that is going to trigger certain players into thinking, okay, we have to move a certain way on this checkerboard floor. It's like, you don't. In, in my case, you don't. Um, there's, there's stuff like um, there's, a, there's a pit trap. Oh, yeah, we can, we can open that. No problem. Okay, it's full of water. Well, why is it full of water? Oh, the water's hot. So in addition to falling into a pit, you fall into boiling water. So guess what? <laughs> 
get out of there really fast or you're going to drown screaming because you're boiling. (laughs) You know, and all, all of that came, the inspiration for that was I was watching a food show and they cooked a lobster. I was like, Oh hell yeah. I'm putting that in the game. Absolutely. So yeah. Yeah, stuff like that, and anything where you can, as a as a dungeon master or as a game designer, uh, just kind of peel open the players' heads and crawl inside and just kind of sit down and and just live in their head for as long as they're trying to figure this thing out is is a great moment. It's like when you ask for a perception check, someone rolls like an 18 and, you know, yeah. with whatever modifier they have, it's outrageous. And you go, you don't see anything. And they're like, right. what's out there? Yeah. It's like, what is hiding really good? <laughs> yeah. yeah uh, no, I've, I've done that. Um, one of the things that I'm most proud of with uh, the first level of Crypt is when people figure out how to bypass one of the challenges or obstacles or traps they really feel like they've accomplished something mm-hmm. and i mean the the first level of crypt is an homage to tomb of horrors so yeah if if you make it through there you have accomplished some stuff that's 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 worth it mm-hmm. um and the yeah second level is shaping up to be very similar the the weekly game group that i have that's been running through it online they they usually can have maybe one or two sessions and it's like yep we're going out (laughs) we're leaving we'll come back so they they know how to bail out and come back which is what you would do if if dungeon delving was a real thing like they they got that show uh mystery of oak island those guys are looking for treasure all the time they don't find it in the first day i think it's been like a decade hasn't it (laughs) something like that yeah so you know just just because you don't win the level the first time you sit down that that's that's not necessarily a knock on you Absolutely. Yeah, and it's something, I think it's something that just a lot of people forget about because they get in this mode of, we're in a dungeon now, so nothing outside of this dungeon exists until we solve it, and then right. that leads to terrible decisions like camping inside the dungeon. Yeah, and and everybody who lives in this dungeon is static until we move no when you're sleeping that's when they're gonna sneak up on you and kill you Mm -hmm. yeah there are ancient and evil things down here they know how doorknobs work so right (laughs) and 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 i mean i think i would know if somebody was randomly breaking into my house and walking through my closets and stuff (laughs) i i would maybe not confront them right off but I'm going to get something and confront him at some point. Get out of my house. <laughs> what are you doing? Yeah, that's, uh, and that's actually a point of consideration for game design is I ran into that on the second level 
thinking, okay, so these these things exist down here. Um, they aren't in like suspended animation until the characters show up. So what is going on when the characters are in this part? What are these guys doing in other parts of the dungeon? And I made it basically so it's like an underground research facility like for a for a biotech firm or you know resident evil or something like that there's there's stuff moving around the whole time so it may change the encounter to good or bad mm -hmm. there's a there's a lot of there's a lot of randomness that's possible and a lot of repercussions to players actions cuz I'm big about that you can do whatever you want, but be prepared to pay for it. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. So getting back to uh, the, the crypto codex here for a little bit, yep. what, one thing that I've noticed, and again, one of the reasons why I brought up Dark Sun, uh, there, there's nothing better than confronting players with something they're super unfamiliar with and something that you know is is kind of scary to describe and foreign to them and does kind of nightmarish things to their characters that's one of the main reasons why i love going to kind of alternate monster manuals to yep. mess with players especially when they're more experienced what kinds of you know things like that was that a consideration when you put something like this together just different ways you can really surprise people with what's coming after them and and thinking about this thing that I'm creating coming at me right now, how would that make me feel? Is that a consideration you have? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, I've been playing some version of D&D &D or Call of Cthulhu or some role-playing game for more than 40 years. So I've seen a lot of stuff. I have read some books that have given me nightmares. <laughs> uh outside of gaming so that kind of, i am a horror movie buff i i enjoy that stuff i think it's great i enjoy the psychological thrillers i don't like the slasher flicks just because i think that's a waste of time but definitely now you know after 40 years i've seen a lot of iterations of monsters so it's like okay you know that thing's pretty cool oh wow that thing has a lot of powers all right whatever the mundane things that do a, that have additional effects are just what grabs me. Like I have a monster that can attack you. It does damage the first round, but it also injects you with poison. And the poison gives you an adrenaline rush. So you actually attack better when you have this poison coursing through your veins, it's almost like a rage effect. Mm -hmm. So you just go berserk and you're like, ah, you know, I'm, I'm going to kill everything. Ah. The, the side effect of the poison is it numbs your body. So you don't know how much damage you're taking from additional attacks that that gets taken away from you. So you can fight, you feel like you're a tank, mm -hmm. but if, if things go badly, you could just randomly drop dead because you, you didn't feel your body getting destroyed. 
And I thought that was a really good idea. Uh, a buddy of mine came up with that one. Just we were randomly talking about what would be horrifying. So he came up with that and, you know, we got it worked into a monster. And then he actually came, came up with another one that was a, a two-dimensional creature. Like um, the paint on a sign or like a glyph or a rune or something that can peel itself off of that surface and cover a player character. Mm. So, so when you attack the monster, part of the damage goes to the monster, part of it goes to the player or the character. Well, player would be awkward. But yeah, it, it, does, it does half damage to the monster, half damage to the character. And if you fail a, a will save, the, the, the glyph creature can take control of your body physically. <laughs> so it can attack the other parties with, you know, the character. So, yeah, like body horror things like that are really great. Uh, you have to do it very sparingly because when people lose control of their characters, depending on the player, that can be that can be an issue. So you got to kind of know your players if they're going to be okay with some of these things. And that, that kind of goes for for anything. If if you know your players have have certain things that they don't want to deal with, you don't throw a monster that that preys on that specifically. On them. Like if somebody has really bad arachnophobia, you don't throw the eight foot spider in the middle of the middle of the dungeon to get them or anything like that. Or you do, you know, depending on how they would react to it. If they want to be like, I kill it, then, you know, go for it. But if they're like, and go into trauma, then you don't want to do that. Yeah. And it, at the end of the day, what it comes down to is something like that is, uh, you know, understanding everyone at the table's boundaries. It's why it's good to kind of know the people that you're playing with and to figure stuff like that out because, you know, sometimes people will relish the idea of, you know, I, uh, Stanley Miller, am afraid of spiders, but when I am playing uh, Thorak the Destroyer, he's not, and he will be my outlet to smash this giant spider. But some people just can't let that go. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, I'm I'm working my way through uh, John Peterson's book where he he's uh, describing different types of dungeon masters and game masters and and the difference between having a adversarial or you know communal relationship with your players. And honestly, it's changed for me as a game master it used to be if I went to a convention, I'm like, all right, I got like 16 hours of games. I want to kill 24 characters, you know, in this 16. And now it's much more of, I want to have a cooperative game with people where the players get taken just to the edge of what they think they can handle. And then, they, they miraculously act like heroes and jump up and, you know, high five when we were all able to touch hands and stuff like that. Um, and, and a lot of that goes into the way I write things now is I want to present 
challenges and make the challenges flexible enough to people that it really uh, a good game master can really push people and be like, okay, well, you haven't done it yet. What, what, you know, give us some good ideas, come up with some good creative solutions. And it doesn't always work out because if, if people just want the dice to give them what their results are, that's fine. You can do that as well, but I want to have the availability to be creative. I mean, this is kind of, you know, combination between stand-up comedy and you know improv acting that that's that's what we do if you're a if you're a good game master you got to make it entertaining and engaging so that's that's what i'm trying to do with the monster design and the dungeon design is not necessarily just be oh yeah this thing shows up you're dead we're done yeah, that's that. That's not fun. But if this thing takes you to the brink where you have one hit point and then you kill it, and you feel like a hero, and then the whole party wins the treasure, you know, then everybody digs it, and and that's when, you know, you get the smiles and the high fives and they good man. I want to play this again. I want to buy your book. Ah you know that that is what i'm looking for now rather than having you know a death count yeah and i think a lot of that kind of speaks to you know what kind of what produces the most amount of fun over the longest period of time because when you think about you know your, your goal being how many players can i kill as a dungeon master and hearing this is going to completely screw with someone's head so don't don't let this go to your head, person out there who's about to hear this. The dungeon master is essentially god of the world that they are presiding over. So as god of the world, you are well within your ability to strike people dead in instantaneously, and that's your prerogative. But who is that fun for? Even if your goal is to kill someone where is the fun in just immediately going lightning strikes you you take all the damage how many hit points do you have you take that much damage uh right you're it, that's not fun for anyone whereas creating a a challenge that can be overcome but takes a lot of resources a lot of resilience a lot of brain power to overcome that's mm -hmm. really where the fun is had by the players having a challenge that they can conceivably knock down it's just going to take you know the the right combination of good roles and know-how and you the dungeon master you know creating a situation where you're cooking people's brains that again that's that's where the fun's had all around yeah i i think I think sometimes it gets lost in how people play. And obviously I'm not telling anybody, like I know the perfect way to play, but mm -hmm. people who play D and D or fantasy role-playing games, they want to, at some point feel like a hero. They want to do something super cool. They want to do something that they wouldn't be able to do anytime on the way back from Starbucks. They want to do something amazing. And if you can offer the opportunity for somebody to get like if they're in a combat 
and they are scratched up and bleeding and bruised and this this beast is coming forward and it's on its last legs and you know you know whoever lands the next shot is walking out of this you know as the winner that's a hero moment Mm -hmm. and it doesn't always go your way i i have on a number of occasions rolled a one in that very scenario (laughs) so i mean i feel your pain if you don't pull it off but that's where it's fun it's not you know when the when the party is steamrolling through you know kobolds because they're 15th or 20th level you know it it's fun every once in a while just because you're like oh man did you see that (laughs) but it's it's the challenge when people get pushed the most and overcome it that's the biggest reward Mm -hmm. Yeah, the the moment the moment that for me kind of sums up what everyone's looking for from a game of D&D or any role-playing game that they might be playing is uh in Saving Private Ryan, the moment mm. where Tom Hanks can't stand up, the tanks rolling towards him and he lifts his pistol up against the t- that's that's the yeah. high that everyone's chasing with role-playing games and that's if you're able to pull off something like that in in whatever you know system you're running in, that is the game at its best. That that is the height of what we are all looking for, what your players are undoubtedly looking for with this particular hobby. Yeah, uh, one of the most poignant. Throw that twenty five cent word out there. Uh, one of the one of the best moments I saw in role-playing was in a Call of Cthulhu game. And, you know, we were, we were all kind of playing our characters and it was just going horrible. We were getting decimated. And one of the, one of the players decided, okay, I am going to, I don't remember if it was, uh, I think it was shoot, the dynamite that they were holding to create an explosion that was going to kill these deep ones or whatever that was coming after it. But the entire rest of the party was going to be able to live. And the players struggled with this, <laughs> you know, you, you think, okay, yeah, it's called Cthulhu. Everybody's going to die. So one of us is going to sacrifice themselves and, you know, everybody else is going to get away. But they were super invested in this. And then when they did it, like, it was a moment for all the rest of the players. They were like, oh, wow. No, you you took this way more seriously than we did. And now we all feel bad. You know, it was it was a real. And then, you know, everybody was like, what the hell? These are pieces of paper with, you know, stats on them. What, what are we doing? But sometimes you can get that moment of, of total investment in what you're doing. And then as a game master, that's like, okay, that's it. I won D and I'm done. <laughs> you know, that that's just an amazing story because that's something those people will always tell everybody, even their friends who don't play. And they're like, yeah, you already told me this story. Tell me about your character. 
you know, they will replay this time. God, it was, you know, all these odds and I blew up everything and I saved the whole party and I am a hero. It's like, no, you were playing a game, but it, it's okay. You could be the hero. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, yeah, so, that's, that's what I, that's what I want to try to put out in the world mm-hmm. is opportunities for that to happen. Definitely. So with this, with this, uh, codex at where it is right now, I mean, we're looking at, uh, as it stands right now, just under 3,600, uh, for the campaign, literally a dollar away from that. So we are, uh, just about to the first stretch goal, which ends up adding uh what is this uh predative plants yep uh most most of the uh most of the creatures that are in the codex right now are uh desert or sand based uh in the setting there is a large jungle uh environment as well so i wanted to uh, support that that's planned for a future book, but I wanted to have some things in there. And I was like, okay, well, if you were in a jungle in a fantasy setting that has technology and magic, what are some horrible things that could be in the jungle? And well, plants that eat you, of course, (laughs) I mean, that's, that's the first thing that comes to mind. And then I started doing, some research into plants and i have a a different buddy that i work with uh he gave me a plant idea that it has these berries that explode and it but if you eat them or use them properly they give you advantages so kind of the whole risk reward thing and thought that was an interesting way to put an adventure hook in with the challenge of of the plant you know it's all self-contained it's nice little package i was like well that's that's a damn good idea i won't put that in the book yeah absolutely man eating Uh, uh, plants and stuff like that are, are terrifying so yes that yeah a lot of a lot of that stuff came with the initial okay what's terrifying to me personally okay now we've we've got enough of those things that are terrifying to me uh what's something that would be useful and what would be an odd twist on something useful like a lot of the a lot of the plants uh especially catering to the to the mcc crowd where resources are pretty scarce they have a use besides being you know big and and horrible and being able to defend themselves because i mean a rose bush can defend itself it's got thorns so these plants that could have been mutated from something else well they have teeth and they're sentient and they don't like things made out of meat mm-hmm. so it, yeah it's it's a and maybe it's just my weird brain processes, but I start to follow a path and then it starts to make sense. And I'm like, this is horrible. This is going in an adventure. 
So that's kind of the process. Absolutely. And as far as uh, the art that comes with this book, because obviously, you know, you have a monster book. Uh, art's going to be a huge uh, piece that gets people in the door. So for any of you who are familiar with, uh, you know, the, the kinds of games that I've talked about on here before, a couple names you might recognize that are, uh, you know, working on this campaign with Skeeter. You have... Uh, I'm probably going to butcher his name, but he's worked with uh, with Levi before. Uh, Diogo Noguera. Yeah, Noguera. Yeah. He, Di- he's in this Diogo. book. He's amazing. Diogo has done his own games. He's a great artist. He, I was very happy to be able to get him to work on this, and he knocked out his stuff really fast. And uh, one of the nice things, specifically about Diogo is his uh his ink work he actually does so he's got these six by nine cards where he did the ink work and I ended up getting those so I have those (laughs) and I mean they I'm like nobody else can have these (laughs) I want them um so yeah Diogo uh Keelan Halverson who did the uh, super bitchin red cover for Crypt of the Science Wizard I should have probably given you a picture so you could see that uh he's he did a a bunch of the black and white interior work in crypt and he's doing a bunch more in crypto codex um ed bickford Mm -hmm. for all you robot Uh, fans out there yep robots uh ed bickford is is on board and he (laughs) he actually sent me a note after doing a bunch of the interiors and he said, I don't want to draw anything with elephants for a while. <laughs> I, I've, I've got a number of elephant hybrid. He did some dinosaurs. He did some takes on dinosaurs that are like, why does that dinosaur have an octopod head? Why he got eight tentacles coming out his face? So, yeah, there's some, there's some crazy uh, monster stuff from there. Um, See who else? Who else I got in there? Ola Fedorova, she she did the uh, she did the cool aliens that look like um, Fantastic Planet, very very influenced by the big blue people from Fantastic Planet, and she just killed her art piece. I love it so much. Um, yeah, that's that's who I can think of right off the bat. Uh, Jonathan Bingham, though, he'd he'd have been mad at me. I don't think he ever actually gets mad. He's one of the nicest people I have ever met. Uh, but he's got a he's got a bunch of art in there as well that I'm really happy I've got. So it it is very much the book I wanted to do. So. Plugging ahead, all steam ahead. Absolutely. Now, once this is complete and, you know, once once you've got all the work done on this, uh, I don't know if this is something you want to share right now, but uh, what's what's next for you after uh, the Crypto Codex is uh, is done and dusted? Uh, So uh, Crypto Codex 
ends on March 16th, which is my birthday. So, you know, lots of pledges on the 16th. Mm-hmm. Um, at the end of this year will be uh, Crypt of the Science Wizard level two. Uh, that will be going to Kickstarter either. I think it's probably in, in November. Uh, and I'm sorry, everybody, I have to do Kickstarter because it's the only way I can raise funds for the printing. And then I know how many people want initially and I can do smaller batches. There, there's always a, a Kickstarter uh, disclaimer that you have to give sometimes. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so Crypt Level 2 at the end of the year, I have two additional resource books planning right now for the mcc shaman and the dcc wizard and i also have another book for the cleric and healer i'm not sure when those or are going to slot in if they are uh going this year or if they're going at the beginning of 2022 uh not sure yet at the end of 2022 is going to be the setting that Crypt of the Science Wizard uh, lives on. The, the entire, I'll call it a planet, but that's not really what it is. Uh, and that is going to be, I'm doing them in digest size books so I can break out the information into three separate books. And if I get my way, it's gonna be in a slipcase just because I think that would be bitching. Mm-hmm. It will probably be a financial disaster, but I don't care. I want to do it. And <laughs> if you can't just do stuff sometimes in the RPG industry slash hobby, you're in it for the wrong reason. Yeah. And slipcases are awesome. Yeah. So I'm going to have that. I'm going to have some full wraparound art. It's going to be super cool. Gotcha. And hopefully i at least break even on it (laughs) yeah it'll be fine now now march 16th is also a special day here in in my household it's it's your birthday and it's uh it's our anniversary sweet uh, happy anniversary thank you yeah uh, last year was a bummer we, we did get to go out. We had a great uh, anniversary dinner. Last year was our, our first anniversary. So we got to have a good time before uh, good. everything shut good, down. Good, good. Yeah. But the... yeah, this year, we're, we're still kind of making tentative plans for what we're doing this year. Uh, but we're still going to do something because it's our anniversary. Yeah. No, last year was my uh, 50th birthday. And my 10-year anniversary with my wife. So we were going to go away and get remarried and have this big, you know, ceremony where we get remarried and and roll in my birthday. And it was going to be this great, fantastic thing. Yeah, nope. COVID shut everything down. Mm-hmm. So that was a bummer. I'm not bitter. <laughs> I'm not bitter at all. Uh, yeah, it was, it was a bummer. So, uh, we're trying to think of something fun to do this year, make up for it. Absolutely. Now, something we have not talked about on the show at all, I think, 
because uh, you know when Zach was on, we didn't really talk about it, and I don't remember talking about it with you the first time you were on. Uh, but you have your own live show that you do uh, most every week. Uh, the the we amazingly do. named Goddamn It Zach. Yep, it is fantastic. That came from, I believe, a messenger thread, uh, because. <laughs> Zach was doing something and I, I needed some information and, you know, I was joking around with him. And one of the things on there was, it just said, God damn it, Zach. <laughs> and I shared that with some of the partners at frog God games. And that just started taking <laughs> on a life of its own where everybody would say that, but where it got really weird <laughs> is one one year at the north texas rpg con i i came to the convention with shirts for everybody in frog god games that just it was a black shirt white letters and it just said god damn it zach and people loved them i sold some of them and then the next year i made the red god damn it zach shirts and we so yeah there's like 200 people that have these shirts so it's a cult <laughs> and there there was even a little bit of you know how you how you greet people if you see someone in one of these shirts you go god damn it zach and then the person <laughs> replies with god damn it zach <laughs> and it it was crazy because we would we would we wear them on Saturdays at conventions because that's the most visible day. Mm -hmm. um, and there are a lot of guys that go to conventions named Zach. Yep. And they all come up to me and say, <laughs> why do you have that shirt? <laughs> and my wife would like to buy one. <laughs> so, yeah, it's it's been amazing. Um, I had... I had a plan. I, I thought we were going to have physical conventions this year, so I was going to get a, a new shirt for 2021 that said, God damn it, Zach, 2021, thanks for 2020. You know, <laughs> so, something to just blame him. Mm -hmm. um, but, yeah, so that's why it's called that. Uh, we, we are live on YouTube on Mondays at 5 p.m. Pacific. Uh frequently not always because sometimes i can't get myself together um but yeah we we do it we have live shows we've occasionally done recorded shows we've done interviews with uh we got to do an interview with ed greenwood which was insane i was like how do i get to interview ed greenwood um and we've had we've had a couple of really good guests on we've got a couple of years worth of shows so uh check out goddamn it zach on youtube yeah absolutely and when 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 i had zach on he did not know that i knew that story so <laughs> when, when we got to when we got to the t-shirt question i said i know you have a t-shirt made in your honor and I think I caught him by surprise. Yeah, he always 
he always acts like he's surprised that people know that he's Zach Glazer and that goddammit Zach is attached to Zach Glazer's name. And I'm like, dude, by now you should know. How how could you be surprised by that? Mm-hmm. I I I think he doesn't know he's as much of a celebrity as he is. <laughs> Cuz he's he's he is he is definitely well known and he's a he's a really good ambassador for for role playing. He he loves it very much. He is a gamer to his molecules. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, Zach, Zach is a great guy. Even uh, when I had Alyssa on a couple weeks ago and we were talking about just the people that we knew in common, and I was like, oh yeah, the Frog God people. Immediately she was like, I love Zach. Just instantaneously was her reaction. So, Zach, since this episode is now dedicated to how much everyone loves you, uh, just just know it's not just us two. Uh, Alyssa loves you as well. And Alyssa doesn't love anybody. She's a <laughs> horrible harpy <laughs> that's gonna be great because next week she's like god damn it zach so it, when she sees this she's gonna be like i will cut you it's like yeah you will she lives like two or three hours from me so she would probably drive up here and, <laughs> and stab me yeah that so so when it comes to virtual conventions, you mentioned a few uh, that have been going on. What, what's kind of coming up for you as far as the virtual conventions? Where can people uh, play in some of the virtual games that you have going on? What's, what's coming up in that regard? Well, I think the next one coming up is virtual or ethereal GaryCon. Uh, I'm, I'm making my semi-triumphant return to GaryCon. I, I desperately wanted to go in person this year again, uh, but that, that didn't work out, obviously, for, for safety reasons. So uh, Thursday of GaryCon, we're doing the small publishing seminar where we get a bunch of uh, people that we know in the industry, and they talk about... Um, kind of just some basic aspects of getting started in small publishing. Um, I did that seminar the first time uh, two or three years ago at North Texas, and people really responded to it. So I think there are a lot of people that are interested in small publishing. Um, Obviously, from the whole uh, zine craze on kickstarter uh so many people are trying to do that uh we talk about different resources that can help with that and friday saturday and sunday i'm running play tests for level two of crypt the science wizard so you don't have to just listen to us at a seminar you can actually play in the game where what it's all about and I think two weeks after GaryCon, I'm doing uh, Frog God Game Days. So I'm running two games during that weekend. Um, and after April, I think it's time to take a break because that will be my fourth virtual con <laughs> already. Mm-hmm. So take a take a break and see if we can go to uh north texas rpg con in person or if that's going to be a virtual con 
in person North Texas would be fantastic. Um, oh yeah, not having not not having actual conventions uh, in person. I I feel like really really was it really hurt me over the past year. Now I mean we're we're getting even beyond that because yeah. my my game plan for twenty twenty when uh, people still were making bold projections like that was I am going to hit physical conventions this year. Uh, you know I can meet the people that I've done the shows with. You know I can meet people like you, Levi. Uh, the all the frogs, all these people who I've talked to but not actually met. I can meet these people, right. play playing yeah. games with them, and then you know, as I am introducing myself physically to these people, tell other people, "Hey, I had these guys on Rolling Bones. If you haven't listened to it, you should check it out. Network, all that kind of stuff. Have Rolling Bones yeah. T-shirts that I give to people." None of that happened. <laughs> right. No, uh, exactly. I mean, I I went to TotalCon last year mm-hmm. in in February. And as soon as I got back home, it was like, oh, yeah, this this flu that people are getting is is really bad. And you really need to take it seriously. And it's like, OK, yeah, whatever. And like three weeks later, I was working from home and have been for a year now. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, I I was fortunate enough to be able to get one convention in last year and, you know, did some did some online and did some virtual stuff. But even as much as I don't particularly care for people, I'm not an extrovert at all. I yeah, I'm I miss seeing my gamer people. Like I could, I could stay away from the day job for, you know, eternity, but you know, gaming that that's cool. That's what I want to do. Yeah. So if, if we get to go to North Texas, uh, that'll be my first gaming convention in a couple of years. Oh Uh, yeah. That'll be something that I'm like, probably going to try and run games at if, if I can, uh, get something together for that and i'm gonna be super excited if we actually get to go to to north texas in person yeah that would that would be great on a bunch of levels i mean if it's if it's safe enough to have a convention like that that's awesome um you know that's going to mean a lot of things are opened up that's kind of the the weather mark on on how things are doing so i i have fingers i looked at flights today so i i'm starting to get you know jumpy i want to go i want to go <laughs> absolutely and i even like i had it planned out for for north texas i was like yeah, i can stay right there right next to the airport don't even need to rent a car yep yeah it's uh and and it's a great con it's like you were saying it's you know it's a lot of people who know each other and hang out and we get to have you know a lot of the conversations that you don't that you just don't get to have i mean sitting around in the lobby just shooting the shit or you know 
uh, Zach and I, one time when we were at Game Hole, we did a live Goddamn It Zach from Game Hole, which was awful, by the way. Just from a, a production quality and the fact that we are not at all professional anyway. Um, but yeah, I mean, staying up till four or five in the morning, having these conversations when you're not even gaming, uh, those are some of the best talks I've ever had. And I am so thankful I've, I've, gotten to be in a position where these people that i idolized when i was a kid now i can like walk up next to them when they're sitting on a bar stool and pat them on the back and go hey how you doing and they talk to me i don't get arrested for doing that (laughs) absolutely so i like that a lot Mm mm-hmm Gotcha. Well, as we wrap up here, you know, here's to being able, hopefully, to see everyone in in North Texas or uh, any convention at some point in 2021 in person where you guys can watch me drink 32 ounces of coffee live instead of a camera. (laughs) Oh, yeah. No, we'll, uh, if if we have the... uh... If we have North Texas, we'll get you to the midnight auction. That's where things really get insane. <laughs> that sounds like fun. It's very eye-opening. There are th- there are things you will see during the midnight auction you will not see <laughs> anywhere else on Earth. <laughs> it it it's a good time. Now, I will say I've been to Dragon Con after the sun goes down, so I don't know if it's similar things to that or. I certainly hope not. I am hoping that this is very specific to Texas, (laughs) but I kind of I think they're similar enough. (laughs) I think they're similar enough. Gotcha. All right. Well, you know, we're we're right here up against our time. uh, So. What I'd like to do is, uh, you know, as always, just kind of turn things over to you. Obviously, we've got the Crypto Codex on Kickstarter. We have Goddammit, Zach. Is there anything else you want to plug, anything coming up that you want people to know about? Uh, Well, I think our buddy Levi Combs has got a Kickstarter that's coming up here in the next day or two. I think he was just waiting for his last one to close out, and then he was going to start again. Uh, Mr. Jim Wampler has a kickstarter that is that he is fulfilling right now for his zine scientific barbarian uh check that out because there's going to be another one happening very soon it's going to be quarterly so i got to get writing my article for that i'm being lazy um and yeah come by and and watch us on goddamn it zach monday uh, 5 p.m. Pacific Standard Time for people who are in other time zones. You got to do the math and get yeah, check out Crypto Codex. Give it a look. Um, even hit the link to be notified when it gets to its last 24 hours or last 48 hours or whatever the, the thing is. Don't forget about me. It ends on my birthday. Absolutely. I think that's it. <laughs> awesome. 
And just so everyone knows, the plan is to have Levi on sometime in the spring, April, around there. So Levi will be back. Uh, we'll, we'll have him back on again. And I have my copy of Skullcano Island over on the painting table back there. We'll be talking about that here in a couple weeks, and I'll be doing a review of that. So that's all coming for those of you who are into Planet X games. Uh, next week, we've got another uh, big return scheduled. Banana Chan is coming back. We're going to talk a little bit about some of the wrap-up of the Jungsha campaign. Um, and I don't know if you know this or not, but she's working on a little project involving Ravenloft at Wizards of the Coast. So that's a big thing that we unfortunately can't really talk that much about. But, you know, we, we can talk about Dune. We can talk about uh, Betrayal at Mystery Mansion. We're going to have a ton of fun uh, talking with Banana about all the stuff that she's working on. So we'll see you then. And, of course, this Saturday... I have also my Deadlands Kickstarter here, so we're going to open that baby up, we're going to do an unboxing, and we're going to take a look at what all Pinnacle has delivered with this new Deadlands. So, that'll be this Saturday at 9am. Uh, hope you guys will join us. If not, uh, you can catch it on YouTube afterwards. And, uh, yeah, that's what we've got coming up. So, as always, guys, whether you rolled a 1 or a 20... I'm so glad that you rolled your bones with me, Ryan Howard, and I'll see you next time.